to the passion factor, pursuing a career in human rights in conjunction with Human Rights Pulse. My name is Vicky Praise. In this podcast series, we interview human rights professionals with a story to tell about their own career and calling in the human rights sector. I am absolutely thrilled and delighted to welcome Karine Ardo to the show today. Karine is an analyst and investigator focusing on armed conflicts and international crimes. She is currently a criminal investigator and analyst with the United Nations. She has served with the UN International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda as a legal advisor for the trial chambers and the Office of the President with the prosecution support cells for MONUSCO, the UN Development Programme, at the Prosecution's Advisor in Goma, DRC, with the OSCE as a monitoring officer in Donbass, Ukraine, and as an SGBV investigator gender specialist with the UN team of experts on Kasai DRC and the Commission on Human Rights in South Sudan, UN Women, UN Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights. As for personal work, she is currently focusing on women's place and role in violent extremism and on international criminal investigations methodology. Karine, welcome to The Passion Factor, pursuing a career in human rights. It's great to have you here today. Thank you, Vicky. Happy to be there too. So the first question that I always ask of my guests is, where did it all start? What motivated you to work in the field of international criminal justice stroke human rights? So, so I must admit that I did my studies quite, quite a long time ago. It was over 20 years ago. Um, I only embarked in legal studies because I wanted to study uh, public international law. Uh, so I will admit that I suffered a little bit uh, during my studies, having no attraction for contract or family law, for example. Towards the end of my studies, when I was focusing on my LLM, the field of international criminal law was uh, blooming or at least starting to bloom. So that's how I got in, into that field on the more academic uh, point of view. Got my interest, my intellectual interest at first. And then, of course, I discovered the practical world of uh, international criminal law. And, and that's how I, I continue in that field. I hear you about not enjoying certain aspects of your law degree. I was very much the same and I didn't enjoy it until the very end <laughs> when I could do public international law. I set out just a very small sort of slice of, of your really amazing career and interesting career, but perhaps you could just share with us a bit more about what your career journey has been like to get to where you are now today doing the work that you're doing. Uh, sure. Um, it's, it's not been linear in the way that I've not focused on the same type of, of work uh, since when I started. My career has, has evolved a bit, but I think it makes sense in view of the evolution of international criminal law and, and of my interests. So I, I started my first real job actually was, uh, was with the UN uh, ICTR. And so I was in the courtroom most of the time. So, so I first started in the courtroom during trials, uh, working on, on decisions and judgment. And, and I really enjoyed what, what I did. I did it for quite a long time. But then also, because of that position, I had the opportunity to look at what's not working for the prosecution case, you know, why some prosecution cases were, were failing. So that's what got me interested more in, um, in investigations and, um, and the preparation of, of cases on the side of the prosecutor. 
So I, I slowly moved in that in that direction, mostly through education and training. And that's how after after my time at the ICTR, I worked with the prosecution support cells in in the DRC, where we assisted the military justice in the investigations of war crimes and crimes against humanity. And we also assisted the war trials, especially during what they call a mobile courts. So so that was a very interesting work, formative work, I must say. So, so I, I learned I learn a lot also over there where I focus on investigation. Then I did a few things that were not totally in relation to, to this because I, I worked with the National Court of Asylum in France where I was a, an assistant judge, uh, where we, we look at the cases of uh, asylum seekers who were not so successful with, the, uh, with their request. Then I went to, um, to work with the, uh, with the IC in the Donbass. It was not purely legal work as as such, uh, because uh, the SMM, as we call it, is a monitoring mission. So uh, we were monitoring the ceasefire agreement in uh, in the Donbass at the time. Um, but I learned a lot of new skills that I actually could employ in, in the future. So it looks like a bit of a deviation, but in the end, I think it's uh, it was interesting. And it makes sense uh, when I look uh, where, where I am now. And uh, so after that, after that time in, in the Donbass as a monitoring officer, I moved fully my attention to the investigations with a role as an investigator and uh, gender advisor for um, sexual violence with the UN. So that's how my my past has evolved. That's where it has led me for now. And I think now I'm as much interested in the investigation process, but also to come back to the preparedness of, uh, of cases, to the analysis we can do of all the evidence we have in order to have a strong case to bring before uh, jurisdictions. Absolutely. And it sounds like every job that you've done, you've picked up skills, right? And you've learned sort of new, new skills, which have helped you for going forward. Yes. Or well, I think it also comes from my, my personality. I like learning new, new skills. Uh, I'm very curious. So each time I, I try to, to, to learn something and, and to find an application, I really enjoy that process. It keeps me also interested in what I'm doing and, and motivated in continuing my career. And yes, in the end, when, when I look at it, everything has a sense and it's a, just a, a smooth evolution combining uh, the, the task we have to do and, and the skills I can acquire during that time. Absolutely, that ongoing learning is important. So as you know, Karine, this, this podcast is for young professionals and students who are looking to, to start their, their life in, in the human rights world, international criminal world, law world. And so I have a sort of few questions sort of around that. So in your view, what skills and qualities do you think that you need to work in the international criminal justice stroke human rights field, which are kind of closely aligned just on your own experience and how it's been for you? I think you need to be flexible. Of course, planning is very important and we are requested to, to make a lot of planning, but we know it never happens as we have planned it. So, so, so I think that the best quality we, we can have is to be able to adjust and to focus on solutions rather, rather than problems. I think it's quite helpful not to get stuck with the problem. And I think for me, 
having a, a problem-solving mind has, has really helped me. And I think it's a, it's a good quality. The other thing that is important is not to be afraid to manage expectation, especially from, from supervisors, as senior as it can be. Sometimes you, you might get requests that are totally unrealistic. So again, the idea is not just to say, well, no, it cannot happen like this, but say, okay, I understand what you're asking me. It's not possible this way, but you know, I have an alternative plan and this can uh, actually answer your, your request. So it goes again with being able to adapt and to adapt quickly to to any situation yeah absolutely I think that flexibility point is really important in so many ways and as a human rights professional ICL professional we need to to flex another when we can and sort of closely aligned to that is the question around further study we know that many international organizations be it the tribunals and the courts be it human rights employers um, international intergovernmental organizations including the UN are now asking young professionals and students for some sort of advanced degree in human rights in public international law international criminal law so again it would be great to hear from you as to what your thoughts are about that in terms of advanced study and if so when is the right time to actually do it in your career um, I think at the time I started, uh, there was absolutely no question of having a master, no, especially for, for the UN, where I mostly worked in my career. I've seen now that sometimes they accept a bachelor with maybe more work experience. I think going to a master before starting your career has some benefits. It is some skills. Of course, you're, you're going to continue learning a lot and, and you will see that. In the end, you, you will learn a lot more when, when you start your professional career. But nevertheless, um, I think a master can teach you some skills in research, analysis and drafting that are usually needed in that field of work because you will, you will be requested to find information, to make analysis about this information and to draft reports. So I think it, it's very important. After that, I think you, can, you need what well, you can if you want, but I think in my personal view, you need to continue educating yourself after that, uh, during your career. I've done that and I don't, I don't regret it. And, and I think it's important because jobs and requirements are evolving. Uh, definitely when I look at uh, a vacancy notice from 20 years ago and what we have now is totally different. So, so there's a constant need to keep yourself uh, updated regarding your, your skills. You know, just if we look quickly into the criminal investigation field, of course, getting witness statements is important. But right now we see the needs for people who have skills in digital forensics, for example, or any other specific area. So it's important to keep yourself educated during your career. And, and personally, I did so a few, few years back with some further degree that would help me in, in the investigation field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, so on, on, ongoing learning is important. And we're, we're both qualified lawyers there, but for people who are looking to break into this sector who don't have a, a law degree, what, what advice could you offer them? So I'm mostly working international criminal law, so, so it's a bit difficult, I think, mm. in that area because criminal law, it's still, it's still very technical. So, so you need specific skills. I don't think that only lawyers uh, can acquire their skills. Uh, if somebody is really interested, they, they can. But in that specific field, I think it's it's easier. Then, of course, 
I would say that if someone finds an area they're really attracted, and when they look at vacancy notices, they, they look at the skills and they say they're missing some, if they really want to go into that field, well, they maybe should take some time to get into, educated in, in there. And, and I've seen myself the limits, maybe when you're not a lawyer. A few years back, when I was working with people focusing on child protection, they had a project, but they didn't have any lawyers in their team. And they were in, really enthusiastic in engaging in, with the government they, they were um, partnered with um, in a project to prosecute some people allegedly responsible for recruiting child soldiers. But they had no idea about the law. And for example, that the fact that in criminal law, you just can have uh, one shot at it. You know, if, you, if your case fails, you cannot go back and retry the person again. So I saw the limits of having non-lawyers in teams, but that doesn't mean that somebody who is not a lawyer cannot at some point uh, get some skills. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm always kind of making clear that, you know, being a lawyer is but just one thing, one bit of, of the human rights world and one career that you can have within the human rights world. We know very well now how fierce competition is for human rights positions. And I'm sure that you sat on the other side of the table where you've been interviewing people for entry level positions, etc. So again, as a real practical piece of advice, what can you share in terms of what makes a good quote-unquote human rights international criminal law CV? What, how can candidates really make themselves stand out from the crowd on, on, the, on their CV and or cover letter actually as well? Well, well of course, I think it goes, it's going back to have a, a, a logical way of you know, going forwards. If you have absolutely no experience in your education or in previous work experience, into human rights and or international criminal law, but you're applying to a paid job in that field, of course, your CV might not really attract attention. So if, if it's really what interests you, I would just maybe advise if you can afford it, because sometimes internships are not paid, they're more and more paid, which is good, but try to go through some uh, unpaid work before applying to the job because it's it's important that we have some time of course who can who can adapt quickly and and be able to produce uh, some result in the work we, we know very well and some when some people enter the jobs they will need a few months to uh, to operate fully hopefully it's less than a couple of months but we, we know we, we need the people to to learn how to to evolve in, into the specific jobs they, they have been recruited in so it's, it's important that, that we know we don't have to, to teach you the substance of what you're, you're going to do, but maybe just the methodology or, or how the, the organization works. So I think that's, that's something very important. And of course, uh, in the cover letter, make, make sure you adapt your cover letter to the job you're applying to, because so many times we find uh, generic cover letters and sometimes cover letters are addressed to another organization or for another uh, position. So... It's, uh, it's not maybe the, the best way to introduce yourself to the, <laughs> to the organization you're applying to. No, absolutely. Yeah, make sure it's, it's bespoke for that particular job and, and, and sort of adapted accordingly. So it's a dream of, of many sort of students and young professionals at some point, perhaps in their career, to, to work for organizations like the UN. Um, and in light of your really extensive UN experience, what advice can you offer to those listeners who might think, yes, I, I really want to sort of work for, for the UN? What, what's the best way that they can start their career in the UN? Um, 
Well, I would say apply, apply, apply. Definitely that's, that's how I, I did it. Uh, I never got the job because of someone I knew, uh, whether it was the UN or any uh, other organization. But I applied. Uh, of course, after a few years, maybe results, uh, my results and my achievement would be known. So maybe my, my CV or my application would, would attract attention in that case. But uh, yeah, I would say apply. You're going to get a lot of re rejections. So something I learned maybe not as quickly as I should is please don't take it personally when you're rejected because there's so many people applying to jobs and he has most of the time nothing to do with, with your skills. Sometimes you're going to be successful. Sometimes you're not going to be successful. So of course it's time consuming. It can be a, be a bit depressing to apply to jobs and never get an invitation for uh, for a test or an interview, but that's that's the way it worked. I mean, it worked for me, um, so I guess it can work for for many other people. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that that's very wise advice. You know, just keep going because you just need one one break, right? You just need one opportunity to get there. And and for many, actually, it might be an, a UN internship. So again, it would be great to kind of hear from you about UN internships. We know you you mentioned there. They're now paid, others not. But but have you worked with UN interns? What's been the what advice could you offer in that respect? So I've been on both sides actually. Uh, I've been an intern when I started. I was lucky to to land uh, an internship with with ICTY at the time. I said lucky. Well, not really. I knew that uh, some of the interns were selected from people who had been participated in, in a law clinic that uh, was taking place in, in Paris at the time. It doesn't exist anymore. So I first uh, applied to get accepted to this law clinic. I was accepted, so it lasted for one year. And then I applied to the, um, to the internship and I got selected. So, so it was a, a bit of planning. It took some time, but I'm, I'm happy I, I did it. Then as a, as a recruiter, it really depends. We, I mean, for me, I, I really look at the CV, at, at the cover letter. Uh, we usually don't have time to interview interns in, in that prospect, but it's, it's also important to, uh, to take time polishing your, your cover letter. And, uh, and that's, that's how we, we, we do it. I understand that at the moment, the situation makes it maybe not as easy as it could be uh, to, to get internship. However, we see a lot of organization requesting uh, uh, remote uh, interns. And that can be also a way, um, a less costly way to, to maybe land an internship uh, with an organization because you might not have to, to travel and pay for, for lodging. So, so that's, that's also a way to, to look at it uh, at the moment. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it might give you that opportunities whereas ordinarily as you say all the attendant expenses of actually going to the place might mean that you couldn't apply for it. The other very important aspect um, and something that I'm always talking to young people about is the importance and value of languages that, that we can't get away with just having one language anymore so again what what do you sort of think about that or say about that? Um, I'm, I'm French, so I know very well that even if uh, French is, is very often the working language in, in international organizations, it's true as long as you speak English. So I, I never really had the choice to work in, in both English and French, and most often I have to admit I work in English. So, so definitely it's important. I also um, have working knowledge of, uh, of another language, and, and I can manage if I need to go in the field with, with a few uh, other langu local languages. So definitely it's important. 
but it, it's also important if you want to specialize in, in any region of the world. I mean, if you're interested in what is going on at the moment in, in South America, of course, if you speak Spanish, it will be important when you are applying to, to jobs. If you want to specialize in the Middle East, it's of course uh, better, it looks better on your CV if you have uh, some, some Arabic knowledge. So, so definitely it's, it's important. Mm -hmm. And um, we are in a world that is very competitive. We have a lot of young people who are uh, skilled, who, who are eager to, uh, to, to start working in that field. So if you have an opportunity to learn a foreign language, just do it and make sure it suits with the, with the area you would like to focus on, definitely. It it's, again goes back to, to be logical in, in your experience and your education, you know, um, look at it globally. No, absolutely. It's, I think that's really important advice. And the sort of final question around sort of breaking in, and you've alluded to it sort of in, in a previous question there, is around networking. So we all know that, that networking is important in any sector. And I think, you know, it is important in, in the human rights sector as well. So I suppose it's your experience of networking, perhaps further on in your career. But again, for younger professionals who might find it difficult or challenging or counterintuitive to us to, to go out there and network, but it is important. And so how, how, we, how we balance that, I suppose. Uh, I'm certainly one of the worst person to ask about networking. I'm an introvert, uh, definitely, so, so it doesn't help. But for me, uh, let's say that I understood networking and, you know, making sure that some people might know about, about you, your work and your achievement. And that also goes through uh, having, you know, ethics in your work, in working well, basically. And uh, that's, that's how I, I, I see it. I, I understand that my vision of networking might be very different from um, the vision of other people. But, but definitely that's, that's how it's, it's, it's been for me. I'm not really a social person. So let's say that how the, how the, the office fair I don't really uh, mingle with people or I was also in places where it, it was not always um, possible to to do so it definitely may be uh, uh, more possible when uh, when you are working in, in Geneva New York or The Hague I, I guess I was networking a little more when when I was in The Hague which was uh, which was uh, for a very short time in my career so so I think it, it depends but in any case what matters the most is the quality of your work yeah, no, absolutely. I would, I would agree there. So if we can kind of move a little bit more to sort of what the day-to-day -day is like sitting in, in your seat, and it would be, you know, you've done such a variety of interesting jobs throughout your career, it would be just great if you could describe a typical day, either in your current role as far as you can, or in a previous role, a recent role, respecting, of course, you know, any confidentiality sort of issues there. But it would be great to hear what's it like in, in your seat, so to speak, <laughs> day to day. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, yeah, I mostly picture working behind the desk all the time which can be true, but in my career, I was lucky to, to both alternate that's in the office and really in the field. And I think I like it a, a, a bit more, or I actually I the combination of, I really enjoy the combination of both. In my current role, I think it's not really interesting because of the current situation, I'm mostly sitting behind, behind my desk. But for example, when you are investigating uh, international crimes, Especially for me, uh, as the sexual and gender-based violence investigator, I had to, to go and meet, for example, a lot with, with women who would uh, tell me about their experience. It's, of course, difficult. 
But, you know, and, and being a full day in, in refugee camp or IDP camps can, can be difficult. But I think the connection with, with people is something that, that, is, uh, that is very important. So it can be diffi- also difficult in the way that of the information you're going to learn, the conversation you, you, can, you can have. And this can be like for eight hours or even more during a day with different people. So it can be very draining. The, the comfort of the situation can, can be difficult. I mean, most of, uh, mostly because it's going to be very hot, very dusty. You're going to sit on the ground or, you know, well, it's, it's going to be difficult. But also you're going to exchange a lot with, with the woman you, you're going to meet. So that's, that's for me... A part of the job that I like doing, especially this this exchange, something very different that I've done, for example, when I was working in in Ukraine with the OIC, some of my days would be to to go out in an armed vehicle with a flak jacket going on the contact line to monitor the ceasefire. So that was definitely very different. We would um, stop in in many places. We had a a kind of of a route plan we had to follow and we would stop and talk to the people living there to uh, to the soldiers each time we would hear a ceasefire violation we would have to um, to identify uh, what it was and, and report it and we did also a lot of negotiation especially with uh, with armored personnel in the area uh, regarding the weapons that were that were used, or the fact sometimes that they were too close from the from the civilians. So so that's what 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 we would do. So it was a very different job, you know. And but in the end, we again go back to the office, write reports, spend some time to analyze and to prepare for for the next day. But for me, what I really liked, of course, is that days are never the same. So it's uh, it's always interesting. You. You don't get bored and, and it's always uh, interesting to, to start a new day. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's very true for, for this world. You never quite know what's going to come your way each day. And again, goes back to the point we were talking about before about being flexible and adaptable, right? So you have to kind of exactly see what your day brings and how, how you're going to kind of manage it therein. Um, and in all the, you know, the, the amazing things that you've done, I suppose there are a couple of real highlights or a highlight that you might want to kind of share with us, you know, what's been a real high, high spot? Um, I don't think there's really one highlight from the past 20 years, but mm-hmm. definitely every position, every job uh, has its little things that, that I can remember. For example, when, when I was working with uh, the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda, when we finally finished the hearings for the Karamara trial, it was a highlight because many people were saying, you know, this trial will never end, and we managed to uh, to close to close the the trial. So, so that was something important that that uh, remained stuck with, with me in Ukraine. Um, every time, you know, we we could convince on personal to uh, to establish military position a bit further away from the civilians uh, was important. Sometimes it would take a lot of time and sometimes it would, it would be, you know, ridiculous or, you know, but a few hundred meters, you know, but still uh, that, was, that was important. Or, you know, when we could visit a, a village literally on, on the front line where people were still living 
and couldn't really move. And, you know, we could go and, and visit them. And they w- we were the, the only people they would, they would see coming to the village. So, you know, having this conversation and being close to people, I think it's, it's, it's been already, always an highlight, especially for, for the past 10 years where I had more contacts, you know, with victims and the people, you know, really experiencing the conflict. I'm not saying that it's always been easy. Uh, sometimes the conversations are very difficult, but uh, for me, it's been very fulfilling in the way that just, you know, having a line of communication and being able to to have a conversation is really important because most of these people think, you know, believe everybody has forgotten them and are not paying attention to what is happening to them. So I think it's important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, I, I definitely would support you on that sort of being with those who are the survivors of, of torture or sexual violence. I know I remember still to this day a few cases that I worked on as an immigration asylum lawyer of individuals who who had, you know, I represented at court and, you know, you still think about them now. So I think that human kind of element is is, is very important. Um, moving a little bit away from the day to day. I very strongly believe that sort of mentorship is a very important aspect of working with young professionals um, as they start out in their career. So again, what what are your thoughts about mentorship? And, you know, we look to mentors at different stages in our career for different things. Actually, we might have different mentors, but I suppose, yeah, your own experience of mentorship and any advice that you can offer to to those people who are who are listening. Um, I really would have benefited from a mentor when I started. I think it would have helped me maybe progress a bit more quickly in my career or not be afraid maybe to, you know, to apply to roles uh, and give me confidence in, in my skills. So, so definitely, I think, I think it's important. I mean, I, I see the, definitely the mentor is not, you know, not to do the job for you. It's definitely what they are there for. But you know, the ability to have answers to some questions or to start a conversation that make you think about things you might not even consider, I think it's important to help you decide which way you want to go or maybe uh, which way you don't want to go. For example, being in the field uh, for me almost for nonstop for 15 years is something that I been choosing something I want to do. However, I understand that some people might not be interested in in that path. Uh, However, they they want to be in the human rights field or uh, international criminal law field. It's not just possible for them because of their personal situation. For example, I've been in places where you cannot have a family with you. So uh, you have to consider that definitely. So yes, uh, mentorship, I think it's very important. And I think it can give people a better idea of what to expect and, and what they maybe should prepare for. I think it's, it's how I see it at the moment uh, for, for junior person, but also maybe for, for more senior person who, who want to continue to progress in their, in their career. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it can be of value to us at lots of different points in our professional lives, actually. Definitely so. Um, and that kind of moves me neatly on, I suppose, to, to the sort of last substantive question. And it really dwells around this issue of self-care, the lifestyle and the challenges that this work brings. And, and you particularly can speak to that, I suppose, because you, as you just said there, you've had 
many years in the field and that's been challenging I can imagine on so many counts but this line of work is very tough and very hard so it would be great to hear from you about how you found that the, the areas that you've worked in around the world how you've coped with it um, and also you know again what advice you can offer out to those people who are thinking about this this area of work and particularly maybe looking to, to move to the field or have some of their time of their career in the field. Yeah, I mean, definitely there's, there's some places you might go where you might not be living in comfort, where the food you have access to is not very healthy, or, you know, it's not the, the most the most appealing place maybe in the world for different reasons. I mean, I've uh, uh, lived in uh, in containers, some were nice, some were not so nice. I have shared my room with some uh, big rats at some point, uh, not the nicest uh, way to spend the night, but it's something that happened. So for me, it's okay. I can live, I can live with that and how to deal with that. Uh, <laughs> hopefully to get the, the rats, leave, leave the place. But it's something you, you, you have to consider. For me, this is a package, which means that there's some places I might not be attracted to, mm-hmm. to work in, or maybe I don't feel a connection to work in some areas of the world for, for various reasons. Sometimes just I don't feel like I'm, I would be a good fit to, to work in this place or that place. Well, that's, I think that's, that's okay. But if I want to work on a specific topic, on a f- specific situation, I might know that uh, uh, more difficult living conditions might, might come with it. But that's, that's for me, that, that's coming with, with the job. So, so I accept it. Regarding self-care, I think sometimes organizations are a bit hypocrite because indeed we hear a lot about self-care. But uh, when you are being asked to work uh, extra long hours and you don't have the time for your self-care it's a bit uh, <laughs> I think you you are entering uh, the world of contradictions here so that also goes back to my point of managing unrealistic expectations from from your organizations because you need to sleep or you need to to eat you need to take care of yourself and it can be you know doing sports reading books doing whatever you want uh, going to yoga or you know so definitely this is something serious uh you you have to consider and I know when you're starting, you might want to prove yourself and, you know, work extra long hours. I mean, no worries. You will work extra long hours in that field. I think everybody who has been in there will tell you so. But I think it's important to be very grounded about what is important for you, both on the professional side and on the personal side and, uh, and make both, both work for, for you. And then if you, if you need support, mental health support, because of what you've been, uh, you've been hearing during your work or what you've been seeing, well, there's no problem with that. And there's absolutely no, no shame in, in doing such a thing. If you need support, go for support. If you need to talk to someone, talk to someone, because I think it's important that you, you are the best of yourself, both in your personal life and your um, professional life. So I think it's important. And if at some point you think uh, the job or the team is not a good fit for you, just think about what you can do for, for that. So, of course, it might be interesting to, to start planning when you start with your you know, first jobs and you, you start earning money, to maybe to put money on the side and be able at some point to take, to take a break, an healthy break. Yeah, very much so. But I think it's very important that at an early stage when 
people are just starting out in their career that they are aware and mindful of these issues that you've just described so you're kind of prepared for what may come <laughs> it's, it's very important and also um, I mean my experience is mainly with with the UN but for experience when you apply to a job it can take many months and sometime over a year be, between the time you're applying and the time you even interviewed so sometime you, you might also have to take to take a break you might not find another job right after you you finish one so planning and financial planning is I think is important and it helps your your mental to you know to be at rest because you don't you might not have to be so stressed about how you're going to to do between two jobs so I think that's also important definitely so actually particularly with positions at the UN there's a, a long lead time the recruitment is is very long so you might well be sitting tight for a while um so I, I sort of I'm bringing this to a close and and you know as you know it's for students and young professionals there if after hearing everything that you know we've discussed they still say yes this is where my heart lies this is what I want to do what kind of final sort of pieces of advice can you offer you know pearls of wisdom I suppose I'm, I'm asking for <laughs> well um as I, as I said just you know, make sure you're a good fit with a position like you, you're interested, apply. If you, if at some point you, you still find you're, you're missing skills, I mean, work, work hard to, to acquire the, the skills. Um, and hopefully that will, uh, that, that will work, but it's important to invest in yourself in order to, to be where you want to be professionally. It can take times and, yeah, sometimes it can be a bit depressing. You you might get more rejections than uh, acceptation letters. Definitely, I think it will happen. Yes, it will be. <laughs> but yeah, uh, just just be persistent and and work hard to uh, uh, to go where where you want to be. Perfect. No, thank you. I think those are definitely inspiring words to finish on. Um, if our listeners want to find out more about you and, and your work, what's the best way that they can be in contact or just learn more about, about you professionally? Yeah, the, the website has been available for, for some time. I definitely have some uh, writing I, I will need to share at some point, but they can always uh, reach me through LinkedIn where I have a presence over there. Well, Karine, thank you so very much for your time and for being so open and sharing with us your own journey and your advice and guidance it's, I know people will benefit from hearing from you thank you so much Vicky I was very pleased to take part in this uh, discussion thanks for listening to the passion factor pursuing a career in human rights if you like what you've heard please feel free to follow us on twitter at pulse human or on instagram human rights pulse if you'd like to know more about me Vicky Praise, feel free to follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Vicky Praise on LinkedIn or my website, vickypraise.com. I'm always looking for interesting guests with a story to tell about their own human rights journey. If that's you, please get in touch. Until the next time. Mm-hmm.